I am in conversation with Dr. Glenn Thompson. Who is he? He's a research fellow at the Department of History at Selimbosch, and he's an academic historian who writes about race, he writes about gender and politics, but this is the important bit, the history of surfing in South Africa. Fascinating. He joins me now on the line. Doc, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat about surfing history. So for goodness sake, you go to Hawaii and decide, well, in fact, you know, I'm not just going to surf, but I'm going to come back to South Africa and find out all about the history of surfing in South Africa. Was that really all it took? Well, um, I actually did go to a conference in Hawaii to talk about South African surfing, and that was my first attempt to start writing about South African surfing. Yes. So it, uh, it gave me a good link between the origins of uh, surfing history and uh, the growth of surfing in South Africa. But, but where did the original intrigue come from? It comes from surfing, growing up surfing in Durban beachfront, uh, specifically during the 80s and into the 90s and seeing South Africa move from an apartheid state into a new democracy and seeing the beaches open up um, and being in the waves and seeing that happen. And so I started thinking about society from the perspective of the waves. Yeah, because it, it was starting to change at that time. And, and let's just Correct. go back a little bit. Sure. What, what was that culture like in the 1940s, for instance, in South Africa? So essentially that's after World War II and there's small pockets of surfers who are uh, in Durban and Cape Town and uh, Port Elizabeth and maybe some other parts of South Africa, usually linked to uh, surf life-saving clubs or they're starting their own little surf clubs. Um, and it seems that there's uh, the idea of surfing emerged out of surfing magazines or magazines that have popularized surfing, the contact of South African um, servicemen in the war with Australians and Americans, and so, and also picking up on trends that are already in place in South Africa from uh, after World War One, where people had already started surfing. And, you know, just with South Africa's outdoor lifestyle and the beach being accessible as it is, um, these little pockets of surfers seem to thrive and inspired others to take to the waves. It's such an important point because it is exactly that media influence, uh, seeing magazines, seeing people, for instance, on movies that almost also assisted in changing our culture and, and how, for instance, black South Africans adopted, in, adopted surfing. Absolutely, and I, and I think the, the media of film and magazines, uh, specifically in South African uh, surf culture, is extremely important in shifting away from what was always seen as a white male sport to one which is now seen as an inclusive sport for black women, men, um, disabled, and other different types of surfing styles. And it's largely through initially surf films um, that emerged over the years um, and have focused on the role of black surfers, specifically. Uh, you know, there's a number of films that come, can come to mind, but Hotel Burning being one film that came out in 2011 that really focused on the role of black surfers, um, even though that was a fictionalized story. And then not a number of documentaries of recent uh, surfers today. And then also focusing on, on the role of uh, women surfers too, um, giving a lot of priority and, and visibility to, to women in the surf. And that has changed the makeup of the lineup in South African surf spots. Doc, I also want to focus on how it, it just didn't become a sport, but almost influence uh, the little nuances in small communities. And I'm thinking now of Musenberg as case in point, right, where yeah. it was a community that was, you know, 
that there was a lot of crime and so on. But that that surfing culture, almost very gradually pulling away those children away from drugs and so on, and and starting a a, a new ecosystem to so to speak in a city. That's correct, and, and that's a very recent trend. So yes. the trend around uh, surfing development, which the National Surfing Body had been instituting uh, from the new democracy from the mid-90s, um, you know, was part of that process. It was also small surf shops and surf clubs picking up um, and focusing on and providing opportunities to young uh, black youth who are interested in the sport or keen to get involved in the sport and giving them access to wetsuits and surfboards and training and teaching them and how to surf and then those organizations say like nine miles or ways for change um here in cape town uh, you know giving a more formalized and programmatic way of uh, assisting youth and in some cases at-risk youth with a pathway back into school or back into society and using surf surfing or surf therapy as a, as a way of of doing that so using the waves as as a place of healing it, it it's not only that that it became but how important was being able to see not only the films but in the community world champions come out of that for instance there is Quezi I think that comes out of Musenberg who became a world champ a a black boy who suddenly was a hero amongst other young people Exactly. So the case of Crazy, as a, as a, and he was also surfing a longboard, which um, it, it's in some points is a, a return of an older style of surfing, not surfing the shortboard, which we mainly see as the popular image of stand-up surfing. And, you know, he was the first uh, black surfing champion in South Africa. Um, and that's put a pathway of the potential and what the media offers in that case and what his example offers is that you can do it. And offering that pathway for other young surfers aspiring to follow that pathway um, to actually look up to these new role models that are emerging amongst black youth in South Africa. I'm, I'm curious about the, the longevity of the sport. So you have a Kwezi who was the first black world champion, for instance. When, when young people look at him, is, is it somebody that still looks like a role model, you know, after the fact? Has, has he been able to still sustain that lifestyle? Um, so, so in many ways, yes. So he's doing surf coaching. I see him out at Musenberg many days. Um, I'm giving away that I surf too, of course, yeah. Um, and, um, and you know, he's very much committed to the community uh, of Musenberg and surfing context. So he was never a world champion. He was a national champion. Okay. Um, just at that level, but inspiring, you know, others to, to want to go onto the international stage. I mean, we, more recently, we've had the likes of Michael February from Cape Town as well, um, surfing at the, in the World Surf League, which is the professional surfing league. He was surfing in, in, in the league last year. Um, so that's the first case of a black South African, you know, surfing in the top tiers of, of the sport. But much of his media uh, product that he puts out and his engagement with local communities is, is putting back into local communities like Waves for Change as an ambassador for Waves for Change and supporting grassroots surfing back in South Africa as well. So there's a really interesting link between, you know, not forgetting one's roots and not forgetting the communities in which uh, the youth come from and giving back into the sport. When you were busy with your PhD, you, you decided to also compete. So go into, into surfing in that manner. You, you know, yes. you, that was part of your research. What, what were you looking to find? Well, I was um, very intrigued about the nature of seeing, and usually, um, you know, surfing contests, there's, there's um, four or two people in the water at the same time um, at a At a, at a, at a board meeting. Break. 
at a board meeting, of course, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I was really intrigued about, because, you know, so much of competition is about who wins. And I was interested in the process of how someone wins, therefore the judging system. And um, I've done, you know, a lot of work on trying to work on how the judging system for surfing contests has evolved over time to essentially try and identify who is the best surfer in the water. And, um, you know, this is dancing between objective criteria and subjective uh, criteria um, because judges are people. Yeah. But And it's also the basis of the wave, who catches the most waves, the best rise and the best. And I was intrigued with that. But for my research, it meant that if I was in the water, I would actually get to meet other surfers who were surfing competitively, for example. And um, so I could actually find people to talk to about the history of surfing. So that was my main reason about surfing. The other one was I was really intrigued about putting myself into that place as a contestant to work out what it's like to be judged. And, and and what did you find? Well, I found it was actually quite exhilarating surfing contests um, and um, I actually had a lot of fun doing it. But at the same time, you know, this the sense of having this objective criteria where you've got to do A, B and C, for example, ride a wave in a certain way for the length of time and surf as well as you can, um, you know, really uh, did make me think about the context and how the criteria emerged over time. And um, and so I continue to think about that and I also continue to think about how a lot of that is focused more recently on uh, shortboard surfing maybe rather than other types of surfing um, or different types of styles of surfing or who's surfing the wave. Um, so there's, a, there's maybe a new research area that comes out of it, but it's a bit more esoteric from the, the usual who won the contest, what was the contest all about, where was the contest, was it, you know, was it a Gunston 500 or, or like the Belita Pro where a top pro is, uh, is crowned or is it one of the more um, the national events where both men and women are, are crowned national champs? So it's good to be able to, from a research perspective, to be able to observe that process. I mean, part of your, your focus uh, of, 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 of interest is gender. Where, where does this put women in, in, in surfing in South Africa, particularly black women? Well, uh, so there's a, there's a longer history of women in surfing. As, so women surfers have always essentially had to fight to be seen as surfing at the same standard as the men. Firstly, they've also had to uh, deal with social stereotypes, um, always been cast as feminine or the sexy surfer girl. Um, and it's only recently that those trends are actually breaking down in terms of competitive surfing. However, the, the surfer girl image, the sort of the blonde, yeah. roxy girl is still very much dominant in the, in the media and in the industry. However, in more recent years, there have been only a few uh, black women surfers coming to the fore from Durban and, and in Cape Town as well. But then there was a really, you know, there's also been an interesting movie called uh, Blue Crush 2, which focused on uh, South Africa, even though it was Jamaican woman who was sort of the supporting um, role as a black surfer who was coming up through the competition, but giving weight to the fact that black women are in the waves and they are making waves. However, in the context, the social context, the the fact that uh, young girls uh, coming into surfing had to um, deal with a number of stereotypes and also many domestic chores and tasks. And, um, you know, many of them come to the water from knowing others who are in the water or through the surfing associations. But it's a different pathway for many of the young boys who are given much more um, freedom to enter and, and do their stuff in the surf. I, as I listen to you, it makes so much sense because, for instance, even in a community where um, 
people would love for you to 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 evolve out of that poverty and that cycle there are still some responsibilities where the family would expect the girl to stay behind and cook and do the dishes and so on Correct. the boy Correct. is still allowed time to go Correct. and play and 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 kind Absolutely. of follow his dreams and hobbies that's right Pamela. so that idea of leisure time and i think there are the, the, the sort of cultural cultural nuances of what leisure means mm. and who has access to the leisure you know depending on household economies etc is really important to how in many ways the sport can evolve or will evolve i think also um through the commercialization of the sport and making it more accessible through surf clubs and through youth programs etc i think some of those uh, barriers have been broken and maybe that's more for a uh, young woman growing up in urban spaces rather than say more rural spaces like in zumbi for example um but i do think um you know young women have way more pressures to deal with from a socialization perspective than than young men who want to enter into the sport so so it's gone some way in developing young boys black boys boys uh, in the sport i i get that to to what extent has the industry the business sector um absorbed those young skills so we know that there are a lot of wonderful uh, uh, offshoots people make boards and these are sometimes Correct. the better the better boards are the ones that are handmade so beautiful Correct. little uh, small little businesses coming out of that but to what extent has has the industry also absorbed young people young black people So I think the opportunities that have emerged the initial ones was for those young black surfers who were aspiring to be competitive surfers and maybe having professional world tour dreams um and finding that the opportunities for sponsorship are not great and that's not necessarily just based on race it's for you know the yes. South African economy is not great generally and the surf market doesn't have a lot of spend so the opportunities for sponsorship which would get a surfer onto the competitive circuit on a persistent basis was a challenge and you know some surfers have gone into the judging world and become really top judges like uh, Sadilian Gadi um in Durban uh, for example and um you know he he's a head judge for many of the national contests um now so judging and surfing administration has also become a part of the path way the other pathway is uh through surfing programs as you mentioned um getting into board making or helping the shaping areas um the other side would be running surf coaching and doing surf coaching for uh locals and internationals at the beaches and Musenberg and Durban is a good example of where that happens and so many of those uh that those black youth are then becoming part of the the commercial enterprises that are doing um surf training and surf schools so there's a pathway there and the other pathway is into life saving um as well so those are sort of the sort of the ocean focused skills that they're gaining from surfing and then translating them into um different types of surfing jobs so so there is a sense that that transfer of skill is happening at, at the industry level Well, I wouldn't say completely at the whole industry level, but I would say in, in quite a lot of nodes within the industry, I think that's happening. I mean, the other side is for those few surfers who do get sponsored, uh, you know, the industry as the surf brands are are behind them, like Michael Fabry, for example, um, and they are then producing media, which is then reaching out to to more people to inspire others to to come to the sport. Um, so I think there's a shift. It's a more recent shift. I mean, I think I would say it's probably post. 
2010 more specifically that what we're talking about here is is more evident um, and I still think there's a lot of change that can happen you know there are some uh, surf shops that are focusing on uh, Africa as a, as, a, as a sort of market and as a, and developing products that are based on the South African black uh, surfing experience and, and producing um, clothing in that way, surf clothing in that way. So there's, you know, there's influences that are emerging that is actually coming out of what you could probably call a township surf culture. So what now, Doc? I mean, you've, you've really opened this marvelous can of worms <laughs> and, and it's so intriguing. And, and I almost want to say don't stop. Uh, I want to find out more. I want to speak to you in 10 years' time about where this world is going. Uh, what sure. now for you? Well, I'm trying to finish uh, a book on uh, the history of uh, surfing in South Africa in terms of what we've been talking to. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to trying to get that out this year, I guess that would be my challenge. And then also the other side is to start looking at new trends within the sport. The Olympics is coming up in Tokyo um, in mid-year this year, and there's two South Africans that are going to be representing there, Jordi Smith and Bianca Badenkoch. And so that means that the South African nation has some sense of meaning that they can attribute to finding new medals. So, you know, what does the Olympics mean for surfing in the long term as a as a giving it a mainstream sports status? I guess that would be a, a, a bigger theme. And would that then trickle down to give grassroots surfing amongst black communities, you know, more credibility? Uh, that would probably be a question I'd, I'd ask going forward. Such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Really appreciate it this afternoon. Thanks, Amela. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Dr. Glenn Thompson, Research Fellow in the Department of History at Stellenbosch University. He's an academic historian. He also writes around race, gender and politics. But this really uh, is what intrigued me. He spoke about and wrote about the history of surfing in South Africa. He's currently busy with a book and uh, I'm looking forward to that book. But really such a wonderful conversation that will be available as